Thank you, Mary Beth, and thank you, Mom, a.k.a. Nancy, for scripture reading. Thank you, Sharon, for the children's message this morning. Thank you to Stephanie and Nancy for your special music and, and Katiri for facilitating worship. Your work helps direct our attention to a loving and merciful Father, so thank you. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. This week, we have reached the final chapter in 1 Samuel, and it's where we find Saul's kingdom and kingship coming to an end with him dying in battle. And in our scriptures, we do not find a tone of celebration upon his news of his death. Instead, we find a posture that is one of reverence and of sadness. And as I read our passage this morning on Communion Sunday, I acknowledge that we have some younger listeners with us this morning. This chapter that we're about to read, 1 Samuel chapter 31, does have some difficult details, especially later on in the passage, with some of the main points being unavoidable. So as I read this passage, I will do my best to capture the story while also being sensitive to our younger listeners. Unlike last, last week, we don't have to go through five chapters. All we have to do is cover one. So we will read the entirety of the chapter before we break it down. So please listen to the word of God. 1 Samuel 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded Saul critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. And when the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on the sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day when the Philistines uh, came, they, saw, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the good news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put Saul's armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths, put, and the Ashtoreths put Saul and Bethshan. When the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men marched through the night to Bethshan. And they took Saul down and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh. And they fasted for seven days. Amen. So in verse 1, we see that the Philistines do end up attacking the Israelites, just as we read last week when Samuel spoke to Saul, as he prophesied that that would happen. And while David was no longer part of the planned attack on the Israelites, 
We do know where this is going, right? David will become king as promised. And in verses 2 through 5 in our passage this morning, we see that when Saul dies, it's notable how the biblical writers spell out the nature of the end of Saul. They make it clear that it was not the enemy who ended Saul's life, but rather Saul himself. And that's important to note, for if a a warrior from the Philistines killed Saul, that would bring significant accolades. That warrior would find great favor and their name would be made great for killing a king. In fact, we do see an attempt from one warrior claiming that he killed Saul later in 2 Samuel. But we find in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 14, a, a parallel narrative, a parallel story to this. We see that the scripture writers there state that it was God who killed and ended Saul's life. Remember from last week, it is God who sets up kings and takes them down. In verses 6 through 10 in our passage this morning, we see the confirmation that Samuel's words that we read last week have come true. The Lord gave Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And again, as we spoke of last week, our Lord is sovereign. The Lord's plan will be done. In verse 10 specifically in our passage, we see that the Philistines placed Saul in Bethshan, which was a Philistine-occupied city. Scholars state that his armor was likely placed in one of the Philistine temples. And it is here in Bethshan where much of Philistine history has been found through excavation, right? Dating back all the way back to the Iron Age. They unearthed pots and pans and tools that point towards, of course, the existence of the Philistines, but it also points towards the sovereignty of our Lord. People come from the earth and they return to it, leaving their materials behind. Yet it is the Lord that is still here and still at work today. While much of this story is full of gruesome details of defeat, we do see that this chapter ends with at least a little bit of decency. In in verse 11, we see that the people of Jabesh-Gilead respond to the news of Saul's death. These were people that were previously saved by Saul earlier in their story. In verse 12, we see that the manner in which they handled Saul's body was typically considered dishonorable in the culture. However, perhaps we can say that the way they handled it was to prevent Saul from being further dishonored. And with Saul's bones, they kept them, which was their custom. And then looking ahead, we'll see in 2 Samuel that David buries Saul's bones. And it is tempting in this chapter to jump ahead, to look ahead into the story of David, which ultimately serves as the next signpost of the divine plan of salvation through Christ. We as Christians, with our complete Bibles that we have, have the privilege of knowing where the story goes. But while it's uncomfortable to pause on this dark chapter, it is important for us to do so this morning. This pause helps us soak in the importance of our obedience to the Word of God, our obedience to the Lord's instruction. You see, obedience was a necessary condition for a king, for a king to be accepted by the God of Israel. 
And then we as Christians, our kingship, in a sense, is better described as being made in the image of God. We have dominion and authority for the sake of the king of the universe, which, of course, brings a level of responsibility to all of us, to each and every one of us. So Paul, Saul rather, proves that he is unsuitable to be a king. But God's, God cares for his people, and he raises up a king to be their champion, a representative, an example in King David, the one who was obedient. This is why on this side of history, we see in Philippians chapter 2 that it, it's said of Jesus, who is the Messiah king, that he was the one that remained obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. So when it comes to 1 Samuel, and we look at 1 Samuel as a full story, not just the chapter, but the full story, we see, as scholars have noted, we see that there's a literary flow in 1 Samuel that can be pictured like an X. So to give an example, you have the character Eli. This is before the story of David, but Eli was a priest and a judge earlier in the story, earlier in 1 Samuel. You have Eli who's on a decline, on a trajectory of decline, while there is a character named Samuel who comes on the scene, and he's on a trajectory of an incline, in which these two characters, Eli and Samuel, they intersect, they interact with one another before they continue on in their trajectory. Eli continuing downward and Samuel increasing in his trajectory. And that same flow is found in Saul and David, in those characters. The tragedy of Saul's character interacts with the rise of David. These character trajectories collide before they go onward onto their own way, onto their own trajectories. And these character developments serve us, the listeners of these stories, in important ways. Being obedient to God puts David on a trajectory. And he will be confronted, and we will be confronted with those that are on the decline. Those who are disobedient with God. David confronts and interacts and intersects with Saul. And at the same time, while they're on different trajectories, they belong to one another. Because together, they make each other who they are. Remember, God is the one who sets up kings and takes them down. These are all tied together. In terms of application of, of this chapter, I'd like to offer two more pairs of intersecting trajectories. What could we label the decline and the incline of these flows, of these character developments in God's story, in our story? To help us remember, I'm going to resort to using another acronym. You may remember last week we used the name Dave, and this week we'll use the name Saul. So S, we have sin. And it goes without saying that this label for the decline trajectory of the first pairing, it also needs to be paired with something else. We'll get to that in a second. So this is the decline trajectory. Saul's story is one of sin. The tragic events are a result of Saul's disobedience. They're a result 
of sin. And no doubt, Saul could have chosen a different route. He was anointed by, king, by God as king. He was chosen by God as king. He had the spirit and the blessing of God on his life, which means he was anointed. And when Saul chose to disobey, he stepped out from the blessing of God. He became hungry to kill David, and his actions drove him to his fate, as you recall in our story up to this point. Imagining what the Philistines did to Saul and his body, if you can picture it, serves us serves an important and vivid reminder of the results of sin. It's important to note that uh, the tone of chapter 31, and you'll see, you, you saw in our focus for today, the tone of chapter 31 is solemn and even reverence. The author does not go on and on about Saul's disobedience in the chapter. He simply states what happens. And there seems to be a sadness in the tone. And if you've been following the story, there may have been some temptation to cheer on Saul's death. But that's not the tone in the chapter. As we're going to see next week, David was deeply saddened by the death of Saul. He understands that this is a tragedy. And in the same way, this should be our response to sin and to the consequences of sin. We should never be throwing a party because of the consequences of sin. We should never be haughty or arrogant when sin plays out in someone else's life. We shouldn't be tempted to say they got what they deserved. We shouldn't say what goes around comes around. We shouldn't say they will reap what they sow with our noses in the air and a sense of condemnation we celebrate. That's not how Saul's ending is handled. Certainly, God will see to it that justice prevails, and God will ultimately make things right. But when we see the pain and the tra tragedy of a fallen world, it should break our hearts. So that's S, sin. Now, A, anointed. To be anointed is to be set apart for sacred use. This is the incline trajectory of our character that intersects with sin. In the Old Testament, the high priest and the kings were referred to as the anointed ones. And in 1st, 2nd Samuel, where we're going through now in our Bible, it's meant uh, someone who's anointed is to be then crowned king. To be anointed in the Old Testament, it, it frequently signifies that somebody is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the Lord's intent for the Israelite monarchy was for the king to represent God and to do the will of God in humble reliance of the Spirit of God. And if we apply Saul to the literary flows that we're creating now, Saul, an anointed king, intersects with the trajectory of sin. And in that collision course, what do we see Saul do? He disobeys. And instead of being on the incline, he changes course and proceeds to decline into sin and to his end. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was the anointed one as the Messiah. And further, we are anointed, empowered by the Holy Spirit, set apart for a sacred task to be priests in the kingdom of God. 
Let us live our lives in a way that stays true to that inclined trajectory that God calls us to live out. So the letter U, we have unbelief. Last week, we spoke of the dark days of unbelief that David experienced. We recall David's unbelief. He ceased to speak to God. He joined the enemy and the Philistines. And he even was set up in a trajectory that would destroy the Israelites. And then for Saul, his interactions with the Lord also ceased in his own dark days of unbelief. You may remember last week we read that Saul was seeking answers from Samuel through a medium. And he didn't get the answer that he was looking for. He didn't get an answer from God, which perhaps, in other ways, he didn't get the answer he wanted. So Saul's unbelief set him on a trajectory that led to his death. His sin, his disobedience, rooted in unbelief, destroyed Saul. Saul died at the hand of the enemy that he was supposed to subdue from the beginning. And his reign begins and it ends with violence. It begins and it ends with war. So for us, let us not fall into the temptation of unbelief. Let us remember that God is sovereign, that God is in control. That God may give us answers that we don't want to hear. But our obedience is still expected. And we are anointed by the Holy Spirit to do so. Don't be like the Philistines who had their own temples, who had their own rituals, and who did play a part of God's story, but they were the ones on the decline trajectory. Our final letter this morning is L, and we have the word listen. Saul didn't listen, but David did, outside of his dark, dark days anyways. David didn't kill Saul, the anointed, even though David had every advantage to do so, as we remember earlier in our story. And listening to God is the inclined trajectory that intersects with unbelief. There will be moments in our lives where sin collides with our anointed calling. And there will be moments of unbelief that will try to drag us down from listening and obeying the Lord's instruction for our lives. But listen to God, who is calling you to approach the throne of his grace. So this morning, do you hear him? Do you hear the Lord? If you don't, keep asking, keep pushing, keep listening. The worst thing you can do is to stop. The worst thing you can do is letting unbelief sneak in and take root. So my friends this morning, remember, if you are looking, if you are asking, if you are listening to the Lord, you will receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Let us pray. Lord, as we learned about the last days of Saul's life, we ask that you assist. Assist us to help us stay on the trajectories that you have called us to do. Lord, as the anointed ones, you have empowered us by the Spirit, and we ask for your protection and deliverance from sin. 
And Lord, as we seek to listen to you, help us fight the snares of unbelief, even when we don't hear you. Speak to us, Lord, your children. In Jesus' name, amen.